Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. Hi, I'm Sam, and I'm here to weaponize my theater degree. And hi, I'm Lizzie, and match my pitch. And welcome to Subtextual, the podcast where we watch movies that you love or hate and point out all the queer subtext you already knew was there. And boy, do we have a big old meal today. Yeah, we took a week off so that we could really devote two weeks of energy to (laughs) this musical production from 2012. This masterpiece. Well, considering that October was five super good episodes about really scary shit, I thought let's do some eye bleach Mm -hmm. and let's watch a musical. Which parts of it ended up being a little more horrifying than I would have thought. Yeah, I think if this was edited differently, it could seem like a horror movie. (laughs) People are constantly like jumping up behind each other mm-hmm. and like, and lest we talk about the vomit. The vomit. So much the vomit. exorcist style vomit. Who yeah. made that like vomit machine? It was too efficient. Someone was like an engineer had to learn how to make a vomit machine. <laughs> talk about weaponizing your mechanical engineering <laughs> degree. <laughs> Okay, but um, before we get too much into Pitch Perfect just yet, we want to thank our lovely patrons. And if you're interested in joining, we got a lot of tiers, a lot of cool stuff, video episodes, discounts on merch. So if that's of interest to you, please check us out at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. But if not, we're glad you're just here getting Pitch Perfect with us. Bitch Perfect. I like Bitch Perfect. Ow. Are you Aka crazy about this movie Sam. i can't believe it i can't, I can't believe, believe it, it. <laughs> yeah okay what about you let's talk about you what was the first time watching this movie let's talk about me um so first time watching this movie i'm a human being who likes musicals so most certainly i watched this film when it came out um this wasn't one that i returned to very often though i really did enjoy it um as much as i enjoyed like watching compilations of Glee performances on YouTube. I was never like a full Glee person, but this was most certainly a movie for Glee people. Oh, so yeah. as a Gleek, Sam, I want to know like what's your relationship with Pitch Perfect? Glee really set a standard. The landscape was changed by Glee and then I think Pitch Perfect mm-hmm. was really monopolizing on the fanfare of that. So I have so much to say about Glee as well, but I'm very curious if our producer Lee has seen this movie. I'm not sure that I've seen I I've either seen the sequel, Pitch Perfect 2, or maybe this one, but I guess once I hear you guys talk about it, maybe I'll be able to tell. But <laughs> Maybe I'll jog your memory. If yeah. the vomit that we're mentioning it doesn't, doesn't... Yeah, it doesn't sound familiar, so I, I feel like I haven't seen this. Oh, also, goody. there's a Pitch Perfect 3. I literally just found that out today. Yeah. I want to watch them. Yeah. Have you seen them? Mm-mm. I've only seen the first. There's a second, third, and they're all super, super successful. So I mean, yeah. But yeah, Lizzie, this was filmed where you were from. So do you remember them coming into your town and singing all over the place? This was filmed in my hometown, actually at LSU. Uh, So by the time they filmed this, I had just left from New Orleans. But I do remember them looking for like extras and like being in the film program and having like a mom who was like really excited about me being in the film program. I remember her sending me like the, we're looking for college extras to show up and do this like night shoot or whatever, wear these kind of clothes. I never did it. Hmm. And I 
a little regret it because there's so many featured extras <laughs> yeah. and so many just extras in general in this film. But I would have to say I recognize 90% of every location, including the interiors. <laughs> like, it's just LSU's campus. Yeah, and they used a lot of people. Like, there was one extra that walked on screen and your partner was like, hey, that's first name, last name. What's he doing here? <laughs> oh, that's right. He was like, oh, yeah, uh, my friend like roomed with him at UNO. <laughs> and um, they also shot the second and the third one here as well. I know the second one for sure. Hmm. Maybe not the third, but a friend of mine was a stand-in for Haley Steinfeld. I have met the producer of Pitch Perfect. He like funded a grant that I won once and like Wow. You know, when, when I meet him, I'm not supposed to be like, oh, my God, I love your work, Pitch Perfect, because he's done a lot of other stuff. Yeah, you have to find the most obscure thing to say that you love. <laughs> so I said that one, and he was like, oh, yeah, that's my most commercially successful. And I was like... He said that? Yeah, among some other things. But um, it's funny. I was like, have you ever seen it? Do you like musicals? And he was like, oh, no, absolutely not. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, get your money, though. I guess you know it sells. Yep. And it's, it's acapella drama musical question mark yeah i think that this movie feels so 2012 i can't imagine oh it happening God. outside of the landscape of glee um glee was in its prime at this point glee was airing between 2009 to 2015 so this was about like the second or third season of glee so it was like fucking huge massive massive but you know what's funny is like i'm curious how long this film was in development because if glee is coming out in 2009 did they just like instantly start writing a feature about like an acapella group, or was it just like a coincidence? Like, were we all just like hive mind thinking about acapella groups? Yeah, I'm not sure if, if culturally we were having a renaissance for like making music sounds with our mouths uh, <laughs> or jukebox musicals, which Glee was. And, you know, Glee, obviously super gay. Ryan Murphy, the creator of Glee, is an out gay man. That's why so much of the show is just, it feels so musical theater because it's from like a person who really appreciates that. And this film, same thing, acapella. It's fucking gay. Like, you cannot yeah. have straight acapella. I don't think that's even possible. Though you can make an argument for every single woman on the acapella, Barton Bellows or whatever, being gay. Like, seriously. If not no, yeah. 80% of them. No, it's it's light work. Seriously. It's of the years of as a scholar that I've tried to figure out which characters are gay. The Barton Bellas. So easy. Yeah. So acapella is obviously gay. Musicals are obviously gay. Theater mm -hmm. is gay. Mm -hmm. But the subtext... And the lasting, like, gay feeling that people seem to resonate with this film is the relationship between Becca and Chloe. Mm -hmm. Which is... Brittany Snow is Chloe. Anna Kendrick is Becca, Anna Kendrick yes. Is Becca. Yeah, I mean, the, their meet cute, basically, Yeah, is in the shower. Yeah, their chemistry is electric. And I think it's honestly probably mostly one-sided from Brittany Snow's character of Chloe. Becca seems pretty, like not interested in getting to know anyone, any person around her. And Chloe's like obsessed with her immediately. Like keeps getting hella in her personal space. Yes. yes. And just like assuming that like, okay, we're together forever now. Like, I'm so curious if that relationship, because Britney Snow's and Anna Kendrick in all three films, Pitch Perfect. Yeah. That's so crazy. I'm curious how their relationship blossoms over the next two films. Girl, she needs a Xanax. Uh, yeah, it would be great if she opened up. Like I said, I haven't seen the other two films, but I think they do play and build off of their relationship and they make more like less subtextual references to their romance. I think they're- Wait, it's, really? You think yeah. they'd start like straight up addressing it? They don't give it like screen time, but I think they mention there's like an offhand reference to like a one night stand. <gasps> 
No. Mm-hmm. So it's canon. I'm sorry, I think it's Nick Cannon. Sorry, it's Nick Cannon. Yeah. Wait, also <laughs> the Twilightification of this as well. I know we just covered Twilight, so it's very top of mind, but Becca's character, Anna Kendrick, is like so Bella Swan coded. Wow. Like the yeah. eyeliner, the hair, the contrarian mm-hmm. attitude of like, oh, I just don't like anything except for music. Like the purple bedspread. <laughs> It's like honestly too much. You're reading my notes. Yes. The intersection between like Twilight and Bring It On and Glee. Mm-hmm. Oh, There's yeah. so many elements of all of it. I think it's perfect. It's like, I really liked this movie when it came out. I was obsessed with it. Me and my best friend at the time probably went to the theaters and saw it no less than like 10 times. What? Yes. We loved it. it You're kidding I'm me. not. This was You've right. You've never in, told me that before. This isn't like high school. So I was probably like a sophomore or something. I had nothing better to do. We went and we kept watching it over and over again. Wait, did you like clock the lesbianality oh, yeah. of the two main characters? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I was super pumped. I remember at the time being super pumped uh, about the character of Cynthia Rose um, yes, I love that character. Who is just like an out lesbian who is probably the best singer in the entire yeah. acapella group. Uh, I was super jazzed about her being in the movie. And then the Becca-Chloe thing, I was so good at finding subtext. If you think I'm good now, that was like my full-time job when I was in high school. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to turn this into a career. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sustained <laughs> my, my personality. Spirit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I just being a little lesbian, that I really liked that. And then obviously acapella. And so there's so many things to touch on. There's so much subtext in yeah. this movie. Oh my God. And there's also just like text as well. Text. So before we jump into the film, I do want to talk about the production just a little bit. Uh, it was directed by Jason Moore. Uh, okay. Do we know him? No. Great. <laughs> did he do all three of the Pitch Perfect films? No, he only did the first. And this is his first feature film ever. Oh, good job. He was a TV director. He did like Dawson's Creek and like mm. Friday Night Lights. Um, it is very like after school specially directed, which I think is perfect for this film. It's so clean and the raunchy jokes are not that raunchy, you know. It's light, it's efficient, it's technically hits all the notes that it mm-hmm. needs to hit, you know. He's not trying to like experiment with the shots, you know. No, he's like medium close up. Sounds medium good. wide shot close up. Yeah. He Next had scene. to deal with all of these kids like singing and dancing too. So like And like hundreds of extras from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I I, know. The man had a job to do. Yeah. So he had his work cut out for him. It was produced by Elizabeth Banks. That's why okay. she's in the film. Oh my God. I totally forgot about her character. Yeah. That's so unnecessary, but so funny. I think Elizabeth Banks is just like Probably one of the top 10 funniest women in the world for me. She's hilarious. That role was offered to Kristen Wiig, who had to turn it down. And so Elizabeth mm. Banks was like, I'll fucking do it, I guess. Yeah. She nailed it. It's like when I think about Elizabeth Banks and all of the roles she's ever done, I don't know why my brain always lands on Pitch Perfect. Because you've seen it 12 times. <laughs> True. But I think if we're talking efficiency, she like the most comedic jokes just bang, 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 bang. And they shot all of her scenes in one day. It seems like that. I almost, I didn't realize she was a producer, but it makes sense. I kind of thought they could have even like added those scenes in post or something, you know, like they maybe weren't in the original script almost Mm because you could just take them out. I mean, I'm glad they're in there, but they felt definitely like a set piece, which is a really smart thing for a 
film to do if you don't know how much money it's going to make yet is just like funnel in some big name Mm -hmm. and just let them have fun with it for like a single day on set. It's like the perfect way to get some eyes on your film. Yeah. Uh, But lucky for them, all those like queer musical lovers were like, we'll go see it. Yeah, sure. 12 times. That's like 120 dollars. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they really helped set the tone because some of the first scenes are kind of ridiculous. But um. It was written by Kay Cannon, who at the time was the writer-producer of 30 Rock. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah she's a baller. That makes sense because the way the comedy is, it basically is like 30 Rock for kids. Yeah. Like it's joke, 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 joke. They just throw so much at you and there's so many weird character traits that they just like commit to the whole time. It, you're right. I, I can totally see the similarities between the the comedy styles with 30 Rock, which is a show that we are obsessed with. I love 30 Rock. I think, you know, I keep saying the word efficient, but I think it's just one of the most efficient comedies. It It does an incredible job. And this film is kind of similar in the tone that it's not everybody has the same comedy style. Mm-hmm. Every character has a different comedy style. Yeah. You know, there are different like beats that will hit for you that won't hit for another person. And also like some characters are as zany as you could ever imagine them, like to the almost unbelievable level to like more of a straight man, like I'm making puns and like sarcastic jabs, you Mm -hmm. know, like you have that full spectrum. So, and you have like physical comedy and sex comedy. You have all these different styles of comedy in one film so like you're gonna catch a laugh from each individual audience member at some point in every scene Mm -hmm. who's gonna say the line that they're gonna laugh at could probably be like its own like social science experiment (laughs) who laughed at that and now i think if i watched it like three times back to back i would laugh at different jokes yeah every time but this is actually based off of a book no lizzie i'm glad you didn't know that or you would have had to do this episode oh my god yeah exactly wait how do you wait 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 (laughs) How? It's a musical. <laughs> like, they just say, they start singing, <laughs> Britney Spears is lucky. <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually based off of a nonfiction book oh. by a man named Mickey Rapkin. The book is called Pitch Perfect, The Quest for Collegiate Acapella Glory. It's a nonfiction book following the competition and politics of college acapella groups across the nation. Hmm. Really niche. So um, <laughs> Yeah, talk about. Elizabeth Banks and her her husband found the book, got really interested in it, and then started pitching it around Hollywood. And eventually it got like purchased after a couple months. So that answers my previous question. Like, was this a direct uh, repercussion of Glee or something more like broad scale culturally? And Mm -hmm. the answer is like, I guess that was just something that people were interested in in the 2000 aughts. Yeah. (laughs) Like the idea of acapella competitions. Mm -hmm. That's so fucking weird. I also love that Elizabeth Banks found this and was like, well, now I got to devote like the next seven years of my life to doing this. And to my knowledge, I don't think she sings or dances. So she was just like. Well, she also directed Cocaine Bear. So like I live for her filmography. I, every single thing she wants to do, green light that. So before principal photography, Cass had to go through a four-week acapella boot camp. And Anna Kendrick described it as theater camp. Yeah, it's what it is. That's what it is. How many like icebreakers and vocal warm-ups and like ma, improv ma. games? Yeah, right. <laughs> Zip zap zap. It's so cute. I was watching the behind the scenes of the acapella boot camp, and it was really like twelve-hour days where you'd have five hours where you're like, oh, I'm in the dance studio right now, or like, or oh, I'm in the I'm in the black box, and we're doing like these vocal warm-ups, and they taught them everything from movement to the songs they were going to sing, but also on top of that like how to use their voice, how to sustain mm. notes for long periods of time. So it really just seemed like theater camp. So they are all singing. 
Yes, this is all everyone's voices. Wow. Mm-hmm. Dude, that little boy from Workaholics, like he really can sing. I mean, he's doing a more like comedy vocal styling, but he's hitting all the notes. Yeah, so Elizabeth Banks handpicked him after seeing Workaholics, thought he would be like a great choice. And he did the audition. He like agreed to audition because I think he thought it was a baseball movie. Oh, and I called my pitch. dad and said, I'm going to go for something called Pitch Perfect because my dad really likes baseball. And then I realized it was an acapella movie and I told him I couldn't sing. But he can. Yeah. But then they were like, sing the song and he nailed it. And they're like, great. It's yours. Awesome. Oh my God. <laughs> the cast on this film is so stacked from people of all different industries. Like we've got singers, we've got comedians, and we've got so many people from Broadway. Holy shit. I believe that. The main lead guy we're supposed to be in love with. Mm-hmm. Please. Oh, big Broadway baby. So um, I think the most notable Broadway A-lister is Ben Platt, um, who plays Benji, the like magician roommate. <gasps> I love that character. More Benji. <laughs> yeah, he's people have been coming after him for being like a Nepo baby or for, you know, reasons such as that. But in the year of 2012, no one knew who the fuck he was. Uh, Wait, who is his dad or mom? His dad is, I think, Mark Platt, who's directed, I mean, really massive movies. You want me to look it up? Oh, for real? Yes. He actually directed massive movies? Or produced massive movies. Oh. The Scott whole- Pilgrim vs. the World, Legally Blonde, Cruella. Oh, these are all movies that his Spielberg, dad directed? Damien Chazelle, okay. Aaron Sorkin. That's fine. Nepo Baby, sure. But he can fucking sing his ass off. You can't... That's not something that you just like... <laughs> you're like, oh, inherit it from my father. It's like yeah. you have to cultivate that skill. And maybe you have like... I don't know, a bigger mouth, so it makes it easier or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what makes good singers, but you know what I mean? I, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of over the Nepo baby thing, especially with like, I hate to like bring in my girl, Dakota Johnson, yet again, but people are always like, ah, oh, Nepo baby, Dakota Johnson. She did 50 Shades of Grey. She had to humiliate herself oh before she got like Suspiria. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So she paid her dues, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, I think, um, so Ben Platt is insanely talented. Um, He was on Broadway for the Book of Mormon, and he originated the role of of Dear Evan Hansen, which got him a Grammy and a Tony for Best Actor in a Leading Role. And I think where the Nepo Baby argument comes into play is that on Broadway, at the time that he originated the role, he was more age-appropriate. And when his dad produced the film version, he was casted again as like a 38-year-old or like... Oh, okay playing a teenager and he looks really weird. <laughs> well, people fucking hate that movie. So <laughs> because of that very reason. Yeah. Yeah. And because apparently it's written really horribly. Also, there's Skylar Aston, as Lizzie mentioned, that's the love interest Jesse. He has to be a Broadway boy, right? Obviously. That Obviously. way he started singing and Lizzie was like, wow, that's like a theater way to sing a song. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a gay theater man if I ever heard one. <laughs> yeah, when you see like Broadway people singing, they enunciate so much, mm-hmm. you know, because they have to, obviously, because they have to get, like, yeah. the message across. It's so clean. Like, the Broadway singers are so glee-like. It's almost like when you listen to a newscaster and you're, like, they have, like, that non-regional dialect. Yeah. It's kind of like that. But, I mean, he's a great singer. He originated the role of George in Spring Awakening. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know how I feel about Spring Awakening. You love it. I love it. Also, Should we do that on the podcast? Yeah. Or, like, that – there's, like, a – documentary about the making of Spring Awakening, yes, isn't and there? I, yeah, and it's great. We should like, that's a great pairing for a whole app. Yeah. 
it's in the works. Great. Also, relation to Leah Michelle, because Leah Michelle was in Spring Awakening. So more Glee universe. I could have guessed Leah Michelle would be with us here today in the room. Her spirit. Her spirit is haunting. It's behind you. Oh God. It's because <laughs> I bring this candle with her face on it every into every room and then just light it God, ceremoniously. Just put the candle out, Sam. Jesus. Fire hazard at this point. <laughs> um, Anna Kendrick also. Broadway Baby, did you know that? No, I didn't. What's she been in? She was nominated for a Tony at the age of 12. Let me guess. Les Mis. No. That's all the, all the babies were Les Mis. Well, there's so many like poor, like poverty looking kids in that movie, <laughs> in that theater production. Yeah. No, it it's not Cats and it's not Les Mis. It's for a musical called High Society. Okay. Work. Uh, and then she's continued on to do more musicals um, after Pitch Perfect. I, she's just always been like a singer. I've never, ever, ever associated her with singing, but she has a great voice. Yeah. Really pleasing voice. So we've got the Broadway people. We've also got some super established singers. So I mentioned Cynthia Rose. She is the out lesbian that's on the Barden Bellas. She is played by Esther Dean, who's mm-hmm. a singer, songwriter. She has so many number one hits. For her songwriting credits, I actually had to stop scrolling at a certain point because I've never seen a Wikipedia article oh my God. that long. They call her the Song Factory. Does she write for other artists or is she always performing her own? Girl, when I tell... Let me... Just pull up the wiki. She has written several number one hits, both for Katy Perry and Rihanna. She oh, Specifically shit. for Rihanna, she wrote Rude Boy, <gasps> What's My Name, <gasps> S&M, which she sings in this I would, movie. That's been stuck in my head all day. Yeah. Where Have You Been? Also Rihanna. One of my favorite Rihanna songs. She wrote Super Bass for Nicki Minaj. Oh my God. She wrote Firework for Katy Perry. (gasps) A fucking ballad. And I have to play you my favorite of any of the songs that she's written. Okay, okay. Yeah, of course. Oh my God. Please hit play. Can you believe that? She worked with Beyonce, Rihanna. She worked with like the most important pop idols of current day. I I'm fangirling and like she's not even around me. (laughs) What a get, dude. They scored. Did she have anything to do like other than playing Cynthia Rose? Was she involved in like because they do a lot of like weaving of these songs together that I think is really tasteful and good. Was she involved in that at all? Do you know? No, surprisingly, this is um it doesn't seem like she was involved with any of the producing or like musical choices. Uh, this is her first acting role of any kind. And I tried to figure out like how she was attached to this or like, did someone ask her? Did right, she they know her or? And I couldn't really pin it down. Because she's such a git. Because all the songs you listed, they're probably coming out right around 2012 when this film is. So mm-hmm. she's got to be a huge you know, industry person in the music side of things. Yeah, no, a a massive get and an incredible singer. She's nominated for a Grammy, but on top of all of that other cool shit, she's gay. I was going to ask. Yeah. I mean, she seemed gay and I was like, did they just style her that way? Or is she like, (laughs) she's gay. I'm good for that. I love that. So I, in high school, so rarely seeing film characters that are meant to be gay, rarely ever actually portrayed right. by actual gay people. Right. So. And Rebel Wilson. We haven't talked about Rebel Wilson yet. Rebel Wilson. I love Rebel Wilson. Mm-hmm. She's killing me. She had just done Bridesmaids, right, uh, leading up to this, mm-hmm. which is fucking phenomenal. She's she's kind of what I mentioned earlier, like the spectrum of comedy a la 30 Rock, how you kind of have like from 
silly straight man to like zany. Like she is the far right. She's yeah. just like rolling around the floor saying whatever the fuck she wants in her crazy Australian accent or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you've got the singers, you've got the Broadway theater people, you have comedians like her and Adam. You've really got the whole cast and characters. Obviously, now that she's come out since mm-hmm. she's a lesbian, which is is great. And oh, thank God. <laughs> I know. God. Also, Ben Platt is gay. I feel like I didn't even need to say that. I mean, doy. <laughs> okay. You all knew that, right? What about the other one? Not Benji, but the the lead one, the the one that we're supposed to think she's in love with? Jesse, played by Skylar Aston. No, unfortunately, I really thought he was going to be gay. Not only is he straight. Impossible. But he's married to another cast member. Beards. This is Beards the Musical. The way I would buy a ticket for a musical called Beards the Musical. Well, baby, I'm starting writing tonight. Wait, what cast member is he married to? He was married. I think they've since divorced. Oh, huh. Um, I wonder why. <laughs> it was the beard time expired. I look believable. He's like, oh, now. we're good. Yeah. <laughs> um, to Anna Camp, who plays the character of Aubrey, the leader of the Barton Bellas. Oh, the um, blonde? Mm-hmm. The, that vomit? The vomit blonde? The vomit blonde, yeah. I just physically can't believe that. <laughs> like, my DNA just simply won't allow it. He's crossing her little arms over her chest and she's saying, no. Stomping my little foot. <laughs> no. Okay, without further ado, let's get into the movie. This is a list of all of the songs that we have ever performed. There's nothing from this century on here. It's not enough to be good. We need to be different. Are you guys getting ready for the riff off? What's a riff off? Shorty, get down, good lord. Strictly bitch, you don't play around. Cover much ground. Got game by the pound. So we start off at the International Championship of Collegiate Acapella. Does that sh- shorten to anything interesting like NACA? <laughs> I-C-C-A? Ica. Ica. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. And um, you know what really bothered me about doing the research for this movie? Acapella is two words. No. And it looks hideous when I see it with my eyes. Is acapella like Italian for just the voices or something? I would guarantee you, yes. I don't want to Acapella. Acapella. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. So we meet the Bard and Bellas and the Troublemakers. And the Bard and Bellas are doing a very dull performance of I Saw the Sign by Ace of Bass. And we see Aubrey, who's played by Anna Camp, panic and then vomit all over the audience. Beyond exorcist level yeah. projectile vomiting on like everyone's like a fire hose. How many smoothies did she have that morning? I don't even feel like you could get that out of a person of that size. Oh, no, no, no. It would kill her. She would die. She has a demon this whole time. There's like a subplot where she's demon possessed. <laughs> she has like some sort of parasite. <laughs> oh, God. We flash forward four months and we meet Becca, played by Anna Kendrick, who's an amateur DJ who's been forced to attend college to appease her father. The way that she looks in this movie is so 2012. So Bella Swan. It's so Bella Swan. It's exactly how everyone did their makeup in 2012. Yeah. Like, there's no smoothness. There's no blending. She it's had, like, so a black, much black eyelid. Eyeliner. Her yeah. concealer ends, like, right at her jawline. Her foundation, <laughs> like, stops right at her jaw. And there's no, like, contouring. It's just, like, flat white, mm-hmm. dark eyeliner, mm-hmm. half updo. Yes. And you know what? I picked up on it right away. I was like, I know this bitch. I wanted to look like her. <laughs> yeah. So, fuck me, I guess. This is 2012, baby. The fashion of this movie, just... A time warp. Let's do the time warp. Yeah. Oh, this is so time specific. It's reminding me of John Tucker Must Die. Oh, yes. I wanted to do a trivia game with you throughout this movie, but nothing cool happened in 2012. (laughs) No, 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 no. Aside from Barack Obama 
uh, being reelected, like actually nothing else happened. Yeah. We were so happy back then. Nothing. I about. wasn't depressed at all. No. I that was nothing. the first year I did acid. Wow. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Thank you. Do not do acid and watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you will have a mental break. You will not have a good time. <laughs> so we learned very quickly that she's like not trying to make friends. She's not trying to enjoy this experience. She's trying to like get in, get out so that she could move away and quit college. And go to LA to become a professional DJ. All of her, like all of her lines about being a DJ are very cringe to me. And I don't say that word loosely. Because can I tell the people? You can tell the people. Because you're a DJ. I'm a DJ, yes. <laughs> At one point you turned to me like very early on in the film and you were like, I will not hear of any similarities between me and this character. That ends now. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, look, she had... She's up. They're not lost on me. I also like was a DJ at like a college station. But if I spoke about being a DJ like this around anyone, I think I'd probably lose all my friends because it's beyond insufferable. <laughs> what do you think her DJ name is? Oh my God. I don't even know. I mean, she's dressed like, you know, super emo, but she listens like exclusively to like David Guetta and like yeah. Pitbull Club remixes. You know David Guetta? You know David Guetta's been bonking around my little noggin because what adult grown man wrote that? What the fuck? DJ Get a Clue. That's our That's DJ name. That's good. Get a Clue. Oh That's my god, definitely her. Bingo. She's great. You put me in the writers' guy. room. <laughs> That's your only job. They just like wake you up every few days and they're like a DJ, DJ name. I'm like a DJ name generator. I'm like DJ Cold Cuts. She's out. We got to give her some time to recharge. Um, We also begin following the storyline of Jesse, who's played by Skylar Astin, and his roommate Benji, who's played by Ben Platt, who's a sleight-of-hand magician. Again, the similarities between these characters and Sam. It's almost overwhelming. I don't know why people on this movie are dunking on this character. Everybody's so fucking lame. He goes to the auditions, and he fucking kills it. Mm -hmm. And no one wants him, not even the high notes, the stoner group. I just don't believe it. I don't believe it either. He's got a beautiful voice. At the activity fair, we see Aubrey and Chloe, played by Brady Snow, who are attempting to gain new members. They, they're they looking for eight super hot girls with bikini-ready bodies who can harmonize and have perfect pitch. And we also meet Fat Amy, who's played by Rebel Wilson. She has a great singing voice as well. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've seen her sing before or since. No. Most of these people I haven't seen seen before <laughs> or since. Oh, and Brittany Snow and Hairspray. It's funny you mentioned that because when Brittany Snow was doing press for Pitch Perfect... All the interviewers were like, so what's it like you doing your first musical? And she was like, it's not. <laughs> Hairspray probably came out like a year or two before this. Hairspray was still top of mind it's and also very insanely popular. successful. That's so funny to <laughs> they me. They meant as a redhead. <laughs> How is it doing your first musical as a redhead? Yes. Honestly, if I was her and got asked that question, I would be super happy because... That's great. (laughs) Good for me, then. Uh, They also, the Bellas also attempt to recruit Becca, who is less than interested. Oh, my God. Just don't interact with people you're not interested in talking to. She goes up and says hi to them. Right. And it's a fair where you join clubs, and they're like, would you like to join our club? And she was like, no, that's lame. I mean, she wanted to say hi to a certain ginger lady. Yes, Chloe lights up when Becca's around. It's Mm -hmm. like a Christmas tree. Yeah, so she sees that and she's like, okay, I can say hi to her. So when they ask her to join, she says, sorry, it's just pretty lame. And then Chloe says, we sing all over the world and we compete in national championships, which is reminding me of Bring It On. Yeah. 
Yes, trying to get Missy to join the squad. Mm-hmm. Like we go all over the world and people are screaming our names and, you know. Yeah, but back at school, no one gives a shit about them. It's so bring it on. If you think about like the beats of bring it on, like getting this contrarian, it's just from a different perspective. Yeah. So when Chloe says we sing all over the world and compete in national championships, Becca says on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and Aubrey says, she claps back with, we played the Cobb Energy Performing Arts Center, you bitch. Which is my favorite line, I think, of this whole movie because what the fuck is a Cobb Energy Performing Arts Center? <laughs> it's got to be like the local local place where they host the rodeo once a year. <laughs> I love it. But Becca's like blowing off university life. So her dad like tells her, look, you have to join one club on campus. And if you don't like it by the end of the year, you can quit college and I'll like pay for you to go to Los Angeles or whatever. Sure. God, to have these problems would My be great. God. Yeah, right. So... After this is the shower scene. What shower scene? <laughs> just kidding. Bitch. Every lesbian was just like kind of backhand me. They're like, what the? They're oh. shutting off the podcast. Let's see. Let <laughs> no, them know come you're back, kidding. Come back. I remember. I remember. <laughs> okay. I'm going to show you guys that scene now. Seriously? I am nude. You were seeing Titanium, right? You know David Guetta? Have I been living under a rock? Yeah. That song is my jam. My lady jam. That's nice. <laughs> it is. The song really builds. Gross. Can you sing it for me? No, get out. Not for that reason. I'm not leaving here until you sing. So. Bulletproof, nothing to lose. Fire away, fire away. So Make in this scene, <laughs> Becca is singing in the, like, I guess co-ed group shower that they all share. Should not be allowed. Ella, she's wild. And she starts singing Titanium by David Guetta. In the style of Mithrigan. In the style of Mithrigan. And Chloe hears her and is like, flings the shower curtain back, approaches her dead ass naked, mentions casually that that song is one she likes to get off to. (laughs) And then they like basically... I fuck each other while they sing into each other's eyes. I'm sorry. Every musical ends with like the two love interests looking into each other's eyes and, and singing. singing. So to me, that is some sort of intimate act. But their chemistry, yeah, insane, insane. They're naked. We're thinking about it. Everyone's thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And what I think is really interesting is Chloe is standing there with like hands on hips, like mm-hmm. no shame, tits out, fully nude, doesn't care. And Becca's like desperately trying to cover herself. Mm-hmm. And that just, like, perfectly sums up their physical relationship. Yeah. Oh, God. What a, I, whew, what a scene. Well, yeah, because right before Chloe opens the shower curtain, we see her in another shower stall with a man, presumably having sex, we're left to assume. Mm-hmm. She stops having sex with that dude. Yeah. To come in here and do this. <laughs> Ignores the fuck out of him. And yeah, as she's so right. saying, she's very comfortable in her own skin, even though she's butt-ass naked. And comfortable with this <laughs> naked woman. Like, mm-hmm. how many naked women has she seen in the last so-and-so? You know what I mean? Yeah. And Becca's character is taken aback by this confidence. And I think without this character, like, forcing her to sing and saying, actually, you're really good. I don't think Becca could have entered the Bellas through any other member of the group other than Chloe because she's just very earnest yeah, and she doesn't want anything from Becca. And Becca, like we said, she's a contrarian and she always thinks like... She's always playing like 3D chess, like trying to figure out how to not put herself out there and what people want from her and is always Mm -hmm. like really guarded. Exactly. And I think Chloe is such a sweet character for her because Chloe is on her side 
throughout the entire film Mm -hmm. from like day one from this moment when she sees how talented becca is Mm -hmm. but she like always is on her side and is really understanding and i I think that that's a really nice relationship i would love to see it develop off screen in a fan fiction kind of way in a fan fiction oh fanfic.net and ao3 went crazy with dot nut (laughs) fanfic.net i love when lizzie tickles herself because i just get to i get to enjoy it um, and after the scene ends, there's like an awkward silence and Brittany Snow, whose hands are on her hips, as you're saying, or, or character of Chloe, looks down and realizes Becca's uncomfortable. She looks at her naked body and goes, oh yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with all this. And Becca says, you should be. <gasps> you? Sounds you? to me. Goop! And as a starving lesbian oh looking for representation, this did more than enough for me. It's funny that like... Maybe I'm just blind and maybe because I wasn't like as obsessed with this movie as some, but like this gets passed over a lot, I think, when we're talking about queer films. And there's so many gay characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so interesting to me, I guess, because it's so niche because really not everyone likes musicals. I don't know what it is, but. Well, this film has been criticized now in the present day by a lot of queer outlets as queer baiting. Um, and I think a lot of the films that we cover that do have subtext we're supposed to be gay initially, and then we're like in the last minutes forced to be straight. Mm-hmm. And these are ones that someone cognitively took the time to make these characters seem a little bit gay and a little bit fruity and a little bit flirty with each other um, without exactly spending a ton of time with the plot or the story focusing on those romances. I don't really give a shit. I don't give a fuck. Queer bait the fuck out of me because it's it's the whole thing like, oh, we're happy with what we can get. But, like, this is a really good, interesting story. And, like, what we are getting, like, if you're thinking at it with that lens, like, look at all the queer movies, quote unquote, or LGBT movies on Netflix. And all they are about, like, coming out. Conversion or, like, camps. Exactly. It's like you can actually just have stories where people are gay and 50 other things. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be the central thing to the plot. Obviously, I appreciate a great film with a queer storyline at the center of the plot. But it doesn't have to be every fucking film, and it yeah. certainly doesn't have to be this one. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know what this nonfiction book about acapella that inspired this whole thing is about, but to say that there were no gay people in acapella troops and collegiate troops, like, is a fucking lie. You, yeah, you'd have to be on another plane of delusion <laughs> to believe that. So it's acapella. <laughs> it is so. Acapella. It's acapella. <laughs> it's so fucking gay inherently. There are, there is an out lesbian character in this film who I appreciate. She never comes out because she's like, obviously I'm yeah. gay. But yeah, so people have criticized it saying like this is, they knew that the audience would probably be queer leaning. And so maybe they wanted to throw them something. But I mean, Great. this is a mainstream film. Everyone that I know that loves this movie is not gay. Yeah, I mean, gay people showed up. Right. But it was a massive success. But this would never be filed under LGBT on Netflix. Exactly. But it has queer characters in it. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Love it. And we wouldn't have this fucking podcast without movies like this. So (laughs) So This did a lot for me in 2012. You guys have no idea. I believe that we have an idea. (laughs) So we can skip some stuff. We get to the acapella auditions where everybody has to sing to get into their different acapella groups. And we get a classic montage where everyone's singing since you've been gone. Oh, I love that montage. And Becca shows up late and unprepared. So she doesn't sing since you've been gone. What is she saying, Lizzie? You got to take it out of... Wait, hold on. (gasps) 
just wanted to prove to Sam I knew it. What you just missed is Lizzie performing cups with a shot glass. <laughs> but trust and believe from me, she did it very effectively. That's crazy. You still have that? Did you even learn it again or you just had it? Muscle memory, baby. Oh, <laughs> babe. my God. The way this song plagued me. Uh, us. A generation. And no, I was still in high school. Every- Wait, did y'all do this at lunch? We used to do this at lunch all the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a thousand percent. Every free period, every talent show, every was fucking. This Red shit was solo a virus. Yeah. Oh, it was a nightmare. Because you never knew when to stop. Because it goes on forever. You pass the cup to the next person. You just keep going. I can't believe this song took on the life that it did. It got super popular after you know after this movie was released. And funnily enough, she was not supposed to perform this song. Like Becca, the character was supposed to do a version of "I'm a Little Teapot." Oh, that's funny. But Anna Kendrick auditioned with this oh and they just liked it so much that they put it in the movie it like took on a life of its own kendrick had to release a lengthened studio version of it yeah and it rose to number six on the (laughs) billboard top 100 it reminds me vaguely of how taylor swift is dating some football player right now on the chiefs Uh and that i don't even know his fuck his name because i hate taylor swift so sorry you guys anyway i don't know that guy's name but Travis Kelsey. What? Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey's jersey sales went up 400% in the matter of a week. And it's just like, <laughs> you weaponize these mid- middle class like white girls and they will buy some shit. It's crazy how like kismet cosmic events will just intertwine. And for some reason, everyone you've ever known is like, yeah, I have to go learn the cup song right now. Yeah. We're all on the same page? What the fuck happened? We're doing it. It must be some sort of frequency or something in the, the water. the devil. You play it backwards and it's the devil whispering, do the cup thing. <laughs> Is that funny or not? I can tell. <laughs> Very funny. No, I'm just thinking of, please cut this, but Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that episode of like Hush where everyone's just quiet because some demon put a curse somewhere. Like I'm just imagining us doing the cup song with like some DJ and demons like side effects of some curse. Oh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> After these auditions, obviously Becca gets in, Fat Amy gets in, Cynthia Rose gets in, a few more girls also get selected and Jesse makes it into the Troublemakers. And then we get Akka initiation night where we see Chloe flirt with Becca again. Oh yeah. There's like a clip here where Anna Kendrick's like, oh yeah, because you've seen me naked and like winks yeah. at Chloe's character. It's so flirty. Like she's starting to flirt back. Chloe walks up to Becca, grabs both of her hands and like pulls her into like kissing. Oh, they're so close. Distance. And she says, I'm so happy I met you. I think we're going to be really fast friends. And Becca says, well, you've seen me naked. Uh, and she like winks. Wink. And she like does a little booty shake and like slaps her ass and then walks away. That's game. And then after this, like right after this, Amy is discussing the probability of one of the Bellas being a lesbian. I mean, if there's eight, what is it? If there's 10, one in every one 10 people? One out of 10 people are gay. I'm like more like eight out of y'all. I'm like, you included Rebel Wilson, you yeah. and Cynthia Rose and And Cynthia Chloe. Rose's girlfriend is, ex-girlfriend is in the- In the Bellas as yeah. well. Yeah. Half of the Bellas are absolutely At least. lesbians. There's also that girl, she's like kind of hot with the boobs and she's like, oh, I have a confession to make. I have a lot of sex. But we like never see her talking to guys. She's no. only hanging out with the Bellas. Who's she having all the sex with? 
So true because we see Chloe, who's not even like admittedly a sexual person. Like she, she wouldn't say like, "Oh, I have a lot of sex," but she has more sex with dudes than this person does. Yeah, we see her naked next to a guy. Yeah. So, as, as the evidence shows. Yeah, I rest my case. Yes. The next day at acapella practice, we got a classic practicing montage. And then they go to a fall mixer to perform. And they give like a terrible performance. Afterwards, Aubrey asks Chloe why her voice didn't sound Aguilarian. <laughs> and Chloe confesses that she has notes. This isn't gay, but I think this is actually my favorite line in the movie. Okay. So Chloe's telling everybody she has notes, uh-huh. and it's like a normal, like, medium shots, like, comedy back and forth really quick. And then she starts talking about having notes, and it's like a crane shot, slow, like, lead in, no music, no crosstalk. And she goes, I am living with notes, but I am a survivor. I just have to pull back because I am limited because I have notes. <laughs> Pretty Snow has always been a comedy queen. It just hits me so hard now. I Probably in high school, I didn't even think that was that funny. But like now as an adult, I'm like, that was great. Why did you guys do that? Keep it going. Super inconsequential to the film. Yeah. So we have some more stupid flirting with Jesse and Becca where he like mansplains movies to her. He literally, she doesn't want to watch the movies. He never asked her anything about herself. He never once asked her a question about herself. The one scene where they're like in her bedroom and she's like showing him her software of how she like makes the songs together. He somehow ends up bringing it back to him. <laughs> it's Shut so annoying. Up. Shut up, Lizzie. My notes verbatim on that scene are as written. After she explains all the intricacies of her passion for mashing up songs, Jesse responds, that's great, Becca. I came over because I want you to watch this movie. Not even the movie. The last fucking minute. Can you imagine telling me all the, like your intricacies about your hobbies? And I go, that's great. Back to why I'm here. No. No. 100%. In the same breath. And he shows, he proceeds to show her the last three minutes of The Breakfast Club. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? And it's like the end of The Breakfast Club is effective. The song is well used. It is famous for a reason. But it's like an inconsequential if you don't know the context of the entire film leading up to it. Or if you don't give a shit about movies. Yeah, it means nothing if you have not seen the film. It literally means nothing. I'm so upset with him. Meanwhile, this like Australian guy that works at the radio station with him, which is like kind of for some reason countered as like the opposing like love interest possibly even though he doesn't seem to give a shit about becca knows that she's a good dj and what does he do plays her songs on the college radio and then invites her to some dj thing that she's actually excited about it's like this guy knows more about her than you you are reading my mind elizabeth and it's bothering me my notes on that are as follows (laughs) becca runs to the station because the station manager parentheses hot australian guy is playing her mix on the radio (laughs) He says, the DJ at the garage does a brilliant version of this, but yours is better. (gasps) Acknowledging her work and her passion and saying that it's good and taking the time to listening to all her fucking mixes and stuff. And like, you believed in me. You believed in me. It's a bring it on reference. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, I just don't believe that these two queers would fall in love at any point. They don't even need beards at this point. Yeah. I just don't. That's a showmance. It's definition showmance. So later at the riff-off, the acapella groups on campus compete head-to-head for the best prize of all, which is the microphone used by Huba Stank when they rocked out at the Schnee Performing Arts Center. <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> Why not? Hell of a prize, really. 
And Bellas are performing pretty mid until Cynthia Rose pipes up with S&M. Oh, my God. Which she co-wrote. Which co -wrote. she fucking... Wow, which she wrote. Wow. Full circle. Amazing. It was so cute. I watched some interview packets of hers. She So the, the interviewer doesn't obviously know that she's like this big person or whatever and was like, well, how do you like working in the film? And she's like, it's my first film and, you know, I'm a singer, songwriter. You know, I, I write a lot of songs. And so it's nice to work in, in on this movie. And she's like, yeah, we actually sing one of my songs. S&M by Rihanna. And I think I think the point finally comes across because, like, otherwise yeah. she's not been in other movies. So right. like, how would you have known that? Right. And if you don't know her by face, yeah. And mm -hmm. that would be like a mic drop for me. He's like, oh, yeah, um, S&M by Rihanna. You ever heard of it? It's Beyonce? It's the number one fucking hit heard of her. Yeah. <laughs> right. I would fucking lose my shit. Yeah. So then Becca has the confidence and she jumps in with no diggity. But she jumps in with the rap verse oh, no. and it falls so flat because like how the fuck is your acapella group going to even back you up on that? Exactly. She doesn't even know. But then she gets it to the chorus and then everyone has a good time. Um, so we're starting to see those like cogs move and she's like, oh, singing is not so bad. At regionals, there's a sock puppet group. What are they called? The Sockapellas? The Sockapellas. And they I perform Lily Allen's Fuck You. Gorgeous. And I think they sing it. Sock you, sock you. <laughs> no, I love like mixed media art, and that's just mwah, beautiful poetry. Justice for the Sacapellas. They swept yeah. Bard and Bellas they out. Did. They certainly did. But the Sacapellas lose, and the Bard and Bellas get to advance to the semifinals along with the Troublemakers. At the semifinals, we see the performance of another acapella group called The Footnotes, and they seem really good. Oh, They're yeah. like backflipping. They're and fucking shit. dancing. Yeah. And like choosing really good songs. Yeah. They're, pff, right, the Bellas are going to fucking lose, which, you know, spoiler alert. They begin with the same boring routine of like, I saw the sign. I saw the sign. And Becca's like, fuck this. And she starts to sing Bulletproof in the yeah. background and like forces this mashup that's like kind of surprises the rest of the Bellas, but the judges seem to like it. And Aubrey gets really upset with Becca. And as Aubrey's chewing Becca out, Chloe attempts to stop Aubrey. Yeah. And Becca says, that's okay. You don't have to pretend like you have any say in the group. Ow. And Chloe looks, bruh, knife to the stomach. She's been in this group for years at this point. She's been defending you this whole time. She's like Torrance, like just hand over <sighs> the squad, Big Red. Yeah. Honestly, the spirit stick. Obviously, the Bellas don't win, so everybody goes their separate ways, and everybody's sad in their own little areas. But then we find out that one of the members of the Footnotes, the really good acapella group, is actually a high schooler, so they get disqualified, and the Bellas therefore advance that to the finals. Felt, okay, so the Footnotes are a mostly black mm -hmm. group. Rewatching it, I felt really weird about this beat because it's like that just feels like racism over a technicality because most of these groups are all white people mm -hmm. and like even in the bellas they have like two people of color yeah and it's just like wait they have a high school like so what every acapella group seems to tick the like we have two people of color yeah know? exactly i mean glee was very much like that oh yeah i think after glee got some momentum they started really focusing on their people of color and they became actually like, the fan favorites that's true due to how well they could see i mean santana mercedes like, oh my god santana oh my god but yeah so to see only one group being predominantly african-american and then not even showcased and then disqualified on a technicality. Yeah. A little cringy. So now the Bellas have to regroup. They have to become friends again. They have to resolve all their issues. 
Becca comes back and she apologizes and not before Aubrey vomits everywhere. Again, like piles of puke and they're just like fighting and they're all like rolling in puke. Vomit angels are being made. So stressful. But they all forgive each other and... Aubrey, the leader of the Bellas at this point, just says, Becca, like, what What should we do? Like, you take yeah. the reins. So Becca leads them into, like, some mashup training, and they all grow stronger, and they get to the finals. This is a bring it on beat for sure. This is bring the, it like, on. original mashup. Yes. And she even, like, incorporates the song that whatever her love interest introduced her to. Blah. <laughs> yes, it's so bring it on. At first, the troublemakers perform. They do a great job with the help of Benji. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, Benji's in now. Yay. Justice yeah. for Benji. And yeah, the Bellas perform and they do a mashup of Price Tag, Don't You Forget About Me, Just the Way You Are, and Tonight. And when the Don't You Forget About Me hits, Jesse's in the crowd and they do the like pump this thing. Yeah. It's a cute. And the Bellas win and then everyone lives happy ever after. Yep. And the Beards kiss and they go on to make two more movies. Yeah. And maybe off screen sex happens between two women. TBD. We'll let you know. If I know anything for a fact in the fictional world of Pitch Perfect, they fucked. Yeah. There's enough fan fictions to back it up. (laughs) Right on to the reception. With a budget of $17 million, this film went on to gross $115 million worldwide. Holy fuck. Yeah. Holy fuck. And you could... That's just the first one. You could presume that most of the budget is royalty, like song. Oh, yeah. What's the word? Uh, Licensing? Licensing, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it was a massive success, obviously, followed by a sequel and a third film. A threequel. <laughs> a threequel, if you will. There's even a show in the works, which is... In the works? Yeah, it's about to start uh, production. Okay. Following Bumper through Berlin. I'm sorry, what? Bumper? <laughs> the character Bumper? Who the fuck is Bumper? He's played by Adam Le- Levin, Levine. Levine? Yeah, the Adam guy. Adam Levine? The, oh, Oh, the workaholics guy? Yeah. Isn't his name Adam? Adam Davine. That character is getting a whole spinoff show. That's a terrible idea. That's literally the worst idea. They're going to make a lot of money, so what am I Are they? This came out 10 years ago. Aka, I don't know. (laughs) Aka, I don't know. All right, Lizzie, you ready to score this? Bitch. How the subtextual scores work is that we each get to rate the film on a scale of 1 to 10 for how gay it is and how good it is. We then average those together to get a single subtextual score. Score. I love it. Okay, so Lizzie, how gay is this movie? A little gay. Pretty gay. Gays love it. It's a six. Naked girls in the same place. Winking at each other and Lesbians. shit. Lesbians. Singing with their eyes locked. Yeah, I think six is pretty solid. There is a lesbian character. For sure. She's arguably the best character. There's like subtext and it's acapella, arguably the gayest thing you could possibly do with yeah. your body. <laughs> <laughs> but no gay sex. I'm going to have to give it a five. Okay. Lizzie, how good is this movie? I'll also give it a six on the quality scale. I will give it a six. All right. That gives it an overall subtextual score of 5.75. Hell yeah. It's pretty fair. Yeah, it's like a G sharp, at least. <sighs> Which Chloe cannot hit because... Because I'm limited. Because I have notes. notes. If you 
have the money, please support those with nodes today. Please call us here at the nodes hotline, 1-800-O-NODES, to make a donation. These people need your help. They do. Also, join our Patreon. We'll probably support people with nodes at some point. And on that note, we're going to sing you out. Hey! No, not, no. No, actually, no. It's canceled. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep this content ad-free, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. See you next week.